can I force myself to do something I strongly dislike for 20 minutes? Maybe I should do some more stuff that I hate. Shit. Like yeah. Maybe I'm, I've got this all wrong. Like we've got to do some stuff that I hate a little bit. I just look <laughs> at it like mental resilience. Like if I can force myself to run for 20 minutes and sprint, I can like fold for four hours at the poker table. What's up, everybody? Today I've got someone who is not only a successful poker player who's won millions in both online and in tournament poker and a live poker, uh, you name it. He's also uh, a triathlon runner, an entrepreneur, an investor, and he's been on many TV shows, a poker coach as well. He's got a, a very diversified, successful portfolio. Alec Torelli. Thanks for the nice introduction. Yeah. So tell us, uh, where did it all begin? Was it all, did it all start from poker or what? Yeah. I mean, I started playing poker at 16. So oh, okay. I came up like with Moneymaker. I'm 36 now. So that kind of dates me 20 years ago, but just started playing online in high school. I'd saved up a little bit of money from some, some hustles I did during high school, like delivering flyers for businesses to like make money, like passing out flyers and stuff to like save up to be able to play poker. But you know, I started with like a couple hundred dollars, you know, just nothing. Oh. So yeah. maybe you would have gone the entrepreneurial route it had you or the business route. Yeah, uh, for sure. Like I, I think to some extent I was just like, I, I liked doing those things for me. It was fun. Like I would try and make like pastries for the local shop when I was a kid to like sell them and stuff like that. So I really liked doing those sorts of things, even from a young age. Oh, really? Yeah, I probably would have done. I like when when I was in school, I went to study business. But of course, you know, I pursued poker instead. But I think I would have done something in that space. Very much gravitated towards that. Uh, oh, okay. So what was it that, uh, how did business steal you away from poker? Well, it hasn't completely. I mean, I'm still very involved in poker. But I think, I think the, the, I think the lifestyle that, you know, being your own boss and doing things for yourself and creating things has always been very fun for me. Mm -hmm. What I miss in poker, frankly, while, like to answer the question, I guess more specifically, what I miss in poker that I like about the business and the investing world is just that in poker, you're not necessarily creating anything, but in like, you know, the, like even doing things like this, where making content, building things, putting things out, sharing ideas, or like in the business world, you're actually building products and services. I really like that. Yeah. And so that's what I miss in poker that I really get that balance of fulfillment through the business world. So that's really cool. Oh, okay. But uh, is it not real, not somewhat similar? What, what's the difference between that and like building your bankroll, for example? At least that's how I felt when I was playing poker. It's like, okay, I'm like building something. I felt bad actually when I would like lose it back. Like that would be like the biggest hurdle. For sure. I um, mean, it's actually, so I think, well, first of all, in business, like it's, it's, it's sort of more stable than poker. It's harder to lose money. And like, you know, you're not having like ups and downs. Once your business is up and running and profitable, like it just continues to be profitable. It might be more profitable, but it's usually not like you're going to have a losing couple months. That's like kind of rare. Oh, so right. that, okay. that's a unique part of it. But I think in poker, because at least for me, I like, because you're not necessarily building anything or servicing customers, or there's nothing like you're not necessarily creating anything, losing money is very challenging mentally because the only thing you're building is your bankroll, right? And so like when you lose that, it at least for me, it feels a lot more detrimental because it's like every, the only thing that I'm working to build, I've now lost. And so it's like all of that emotional sure. energy is channeled in that. And then it's like taken away from you. And, and obviously if you know, you can get unlucky or you play bad, but either way, losing is very painful. So mm -hmm. that's definitely a challenge with poker. Like losing in poker is, is very, very frustrating. So is there any like thing specifically that you did to get over the, 
the aspect of losing in poker? Well, it's still very challenging. I think I'm very like competitive and driven to win. And I think a lot of times when I look at why I play poker, it's mainly just because I want to compete and I want to win. Mm -hmm. So there's always a, a large amount of pain associated with losing because I always assume full responsibility for why I lose. And so it's very hard to accept that like I might've gotten outplayed or I didn't play my best or I didn't do something that I could have done to win. Sure. So that's always something that I struggle with, but then it's a double-edged sword, but because I, you know, run like, you know, Freud says, you know, you run from pain and you run towards pleasure because I run from that pain a lot. I end up trying to improve and get better. So it's like, it's, it's good that I suffer when I lose because that sufferance allows me to like, okay, I'm not going to do this again. I'm going to get better. <laughs> it's like, damn it. I'm going to win next time. And so like, <laughs> I like that I suffer when I lose. I'm not trying to like live in this, you know, only feel positive emotions sort of state. It's okay that I feel like challenging emotions because then I grow as a person and get better. So I think that's a first kind of heuristic to look at is that like you don't always want to just avoid all of the pain because sometimes that's that it can be channeled in a positive way right you can kind of use the stress in a good way but the other thing is that that's sort of helped me is just like taking like when you get caught up in poker I feel like it's easy to get caught up in the idea that poker is everything that's happening in the world because it sort of takes over your life in a lot of a lot of ways when you're in poker everything else seems to not matter because like the money you're playing with or what's happening in poker seems so important and, and urgent. But then when I zoom out and I look back at my life and other things that I have going on and how, how lucky I am, how grateful I am. And like, it's, it's, I think zooming out and disconnecting from what's happening in poker gives me like a 30,000 foot view of, you know, my life and everything. And then, so it's a lot easier to feel gratitude of just mm -hmm. everything I have and realizing, you know, poker is not the whole slice, the whole pie. It's just one slice. Sure. And no matter what happens, like, you know, life is still good. I'm still blessed. I've still, been dealt a very good hand in life and that's you know much more important than whatever happens at the poker table sure yeah uh, um that was a big a big part of what you just said is how i like helped getting over, getting over losing is where i just invested emotionally in other areas where my emotional like state was not so dependent on poker specifically i mean that plus meditation and spiritual stuff uh really was the answer to that that i personally found um, that's great and yeah, meditation helped a lot too. Yeah, and there is really something to be said for like not only feeling positive emotions, um, even though it doesn't sound that great. <laughs> uh, to have a little bit of pain every now and then is actually quite a good thing. Yeah, what's the song by, you know, only know you love her when you let her go? It's a great song. There's like, a, you know, only know you're high when you're feeling low. It's like, it's really true. Like you I had a moment recently where I was on a roll and I, I won a lot and the hustler and whatever and everything was going well. I just had a night where, you know, those nights where everything goes your way. Like you just feel on top of the world. You're like, this is such a great feeling. And, but like having so many of those lows, I actually had the presence in the moment of that feeling to realize like, wow, this is very rare. And like living the, through the roller coaster of the last 20 years, I realized, wow, when I feel this emotional high, I'm like mature enough and aware enough to realize that this is not a normal thing. It's a peak state. And sure. so like, because I felt the challenges of having to, you know, lose a lot of money in, in, in poker or like make mistakes and lose a lot of my bankroll at, at certain times doing stupid things. I realized like, <laughs> oh, wow, this is one of those times where I just have to enjoy the moment. But in earlier in my career, it was harder to, to separate from the highs and lows because you just, you know, it's less maturity, more caught up in it. So like sure. I, now I actually appreciate the wins a lot more than I did in the past because I've suffered the losses. Sure. So I actually like the, I mean, you don't want the lows to get toxic to where they like ruin your life obviously but yeah, like yeah, just not, feeling the pain of losing a little bit of low yeah like feeling the pain of losing i almost think of it akin to like being sore after a workout like if you're sore after a workout 
It's like, it's a good sore. You, you know, it's like, your arm to be broken though. Yeah, but it's like a good pain. <laughs> like it's a pain where you're growing. And I feel like that's kind of a loss. Like, you know, you have to wrestle with it and struggle with it and then get mad at it and then like, you know, accept it and then move on from it and grow from it and learn from it and get better from it. And so like, sure. that's that cycle of like a loss where it's like a loss is so much harder to handle than a win. Like sometimes you need a day off, you need two days off. Like a win, you could obviously just go back tomorrow, but you only learn when you lose. Like when you win, you're reinforced with this idea that everything went well and you played well. And it might not be true, but it's harder to learn from the wins because it's harder to separate the results from your decision. But when you lose, you're like, oh shit, this was like a negative impact from the world that I have to now like wrestle with. And so I'm gonna reflect on why I'm in this situation. So people learn a lot when they lose. Like, you know, you mentioned coaching. I feel like being a poker coach, like it's kind of like being a doctor. Like nobody comes to you when they're healthy. Yeah. And so it's like in coaching, like people don't come to me typically when they're winning. Yeah. And so it's like, it's this funny self-reinforcing thing where like people come when they're losing, even though they might be winning, they might've won three months earlier, but it takes a rare person to come to someone when they're winning. So I feel like most of the people that come to me are on a downswing and that's like the common thing I hear, but it's like, that's when people want to improve. Um, the, no one comes to you when you're, when they're winning, really. I mean, I would actually think, I want to talk about this for a second because if someone's really self, I mean, I, I just feel like, let's put I don't want to say no one, but like maybe one out of 10. Uh, okay. That makes small, me small number. So there are signs that there's some problems afoot when you're winning, just just so that for the audience is aware, because you'd rather come to someone when you're winning than when you're losing, when your shit already hits the fan. Right. You'd rather like work on your game, and realize, oh shit, I suck at this before you start losing. Um, right, because if you come to someone when you're winning, you could prevent the loss because you learn what you're doing that got you there or what you, maybe you're making mistakes even when you're winning, like you said. Yeah. What yeah. are your signs of mistakes when you're, Winning, like you you were gonna mention that. You sort of read my mind. I was thinking about that myself. Um, there's actually a number of telltale ones. One is specifically if you don't know the answer to a situation and you're like, you're talking with your competition and they rattle off some like answer to a situation that you didn't know um, or just any amount of like not lack of knowledge in something where perhaps you should, especially in like a competitive environment is a strong indicator that you really need to get your shit together. Um, there's other things too. I mean, sometimes it can come down to a feeling. I mean, for me, I'm very self-aware when I'm exceptionally uh, sensitive to when it feels as if some, something's not working very well to, in an isolated situation. If you're paying close attention to an isolated situation, such as, um, for example, like you're raising preflop a lot. You just keep getting three bet. And you're like, why do I get three bet all the time? Like blah, blah, blah. And you just keep getting this feeling. And then maybe that's a sign like, okay, maybe I should actually look at my, my three bit frequency or you just keep getting called on the river. Um, and like that's kind of thing. And then you're like, why do I always get called on the river? And then that'd be a sign that before like the whole like downswing happens, you could say, okay, well maybe I need to look at, you know, my, if I'm giving off physical tells or if I pick shitty bluff spots right. or whatever it is. But a big sign is uh, reoccurring negative feelings um, in similar situations. Um, also, Especially if they add up multiple times in a row, that's just a strong indicator, but it's not 100%. Another thing really is uh, clear evidence of lack of uh, competitive knowledge in competitive fields. Um, like where there are situations where people, you don't need to be super competitive, then that can be okay. But where you do, like in a top tournament field, for example, you like really need to like get, get down and know your shit. Yeah, um, it's a tough environment. I, I think another one too is just like, if you look at your results and 
there was one hand or like a you know one or two or a very few number of hands in which you were either behind and won mm-hmm. or you coolered someone and won and that was the reason why you're winning. Yeah, really. So like if if you're winning because you you know got it all in with you know a, a whatever and then you sucked out and got lucky and you know that pot was 10k and you're up 8k, well like you're actually should have lost that hand and you're bare, you're winning less than the pot was and so like that's also a way to look at your like you know online they call it all in ev but like just to look at you know how well you're running in these big pots and how much you're winning in the big pots and how how ahead or behind you're getting it in the big pots too because the results don't always lead to the long-term outcome in the, in the short term oh yeah that's a good that's a good point i mean you could look at things um analytically like like you said you could just look at your all in ev and if you're like way over all in ev and that's the reason why you're winning it's probably not a good sign yeah exactly or if you're gonna like sometimes it can be a bad sign if you're getting torched at the red line the non-showdown line um that can be yeah i think that's a great sign of a, a really good player is like almost one i mean it's good to look at commonalities between good players because obviously a lot of good players have a lot of different styles but one thing that's pretty common is that i think really good players win a lot of money without showdown like they're winning pots they're 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 stealing pots as it's called like they're they're earning pots without strong hands and they're finding creative ways to win pots so like mm-hmm. I, f- I feel like you mentioned just using self-awareness and having like a good pulse on the situation i feel like when i'm playing well i notice that i'm winning a lot of like percentage of the pots that I play that aren't on the river when I just have top pair, top kicker type of thing. Sure. That's a good sign. Like when I feel like, especially in a tournament, even more importantly in a tournament, like, you know, recently in the main, like when I'm winning, like if I have a strategy where I'm winning a lot of these small pots without showing down cards, that's a really good sign. Like that's a good reinforcement sign for me. That is, yeah, uh, That that's definitely a positive. Um, one thing in PLO specifically, it uh, let, there's quite some issue with like why people get torched in non-showdown specifically uh, as a general theme. I think it's not like universally true, but almost true. Another thing is it's, um, there's other, there's also elements of the strategy that will help reduce non-showdown, uh, non-showdown losses, such as like uh, basically not like betting, betting and like giving up later, like that kind of thing. Betting, mm. betting once and giving up in a, yeah. like, a really like inefficient way, whereas you like rework your entire strategy. So you're not really, um, yeah, you're either checking or betting multiple times. Uh, well, you will bet and give up sometimes, but um, uh, yeah, you do want to like have a pretty like reasonable follow through for sure. I think. I, I yeah, that's a that's a almost like an old school strategy where people are like raise pre flop, bet the flop, and then like they don't know what to do after that, and then they just end up checking to the river. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like those people are pretty easy to play against when yeah, you find yeah, it at a poker you, table. You want to play against someone like that. That's uh, it's like, you know, they're going to gonna fire the flop, <laughs> but then you know, they're not going to put you to any tough decisions on any later streets. That's like a, that's a good sign. That's, that's one of the, game. that's one of the top quality opponents. I mean, top the people that you want to play against. Yeah. Someone for sure. like really weak, like they have like a limited amount of aggression and they give up later, which I think is actually most people still today, like even with the solvers, like a lot of people don't really put in the aggressive solver lines and all of Especially that. Especially in live poker. I mean, people are almost always not aggressive enough is what I find. Like there's very few players that are, I don't want to say too aggressive because some people are like VIPs and aggressive because they're just bad. But like Sure. Good players are almost always not aggressive enough as well. I guess you have to kind of categorize it there because some bad players are too aggressive because they just overvalue hands. And like, it's You're talking different... about like players that are like trying to win and they're, right. they're regulars. Right, exactly. They're almost still not aggressive enough in live poker. It's like hard, you know, because people don't, are very risk adverse in live poker because there's a lot of like, social 
negative reinforcements around losing, like physically putting all of your chips in front of you or like when you have cash on the table, like putting all of that in the pot is like a challenging thing to do. And then mm -hmm. doing that with the worst hand or calling it off with the worst hand or bluffing all in with the worst hand and the fear of getting snap called and how you're going to look in front of the other people. Those are all like real psychological things that people have to deal with. So like it creates this strong risk adversity. I, th I would say I've found something similar going on as well. It feels as though people are a little bit more risk adverse live than online. That's been my experience. Actually, I've gotten like definitely hero called like the wackest spots on online where I'm like, what the f like give off a timing teller. What was it? <laughs> it's just psychologically too so much easier to call it off in like a virtual environment when the money doesn't seem real versus like you you physically stack these chips over a period of three, four, five, six hours and you're like sitting at the table knowing your session's ending and you can see the like the the, the creation of how much you've won. You know, mm -hmm. like you're you buy in ten thousand, you buy in two thousand, you know, you buy in a thousand and you get it up to seventeen hundred. Mm -hmm. And you're nursing that win with those physical <laughs> chips in front of you and like to take all of those chips and then put them in the pot and then knowing that you're gonna be down and then the drive home. Like there's so many more physical things that are like create these mental barriers in a live poker environment that make it a lot harder for people to risk a lot of money. I do think that's true, especially in tournament poker, but to be fair- 100% in tournament poker. It's even, <laughs> all, everything I'm saying, I believe is like doubled in tournament poker. That's that's true. Uh, the one thing in tournament poker is there's a lot of situations where you actually it's good to be a bit on the passive side. 100%. I mean, that's the weird thing. I actually like, think people play the opposite. I, I think good players in tournaments are have the opposite problem. I think they're too aggressive. I think they're taking too <laughs> many high variance spots that the risk reward of the increase in value of their stack versus the detriment to losing those chips is not worth it. And so I think you always have to be like more cautious in tournaments when you're risking chips because like gaining more chips doesn't help you as much as losing chips hurts you, especially with ICM as you get deeper in the tournament, especially when you have like a big edge in the main and like like in a, in a in a main event or like in a in a 1K event with you know a main event of a 1K, a main event of a 5K, a main event of you know 10K something like that. So sure, I think actually people have the opposite problem in tournaments, which is kind of funny. It was interesting watching the main and you know watching just, some people dust. Yeah, yeah, just like see that <laughs> when spots where you're like, you know yeah, you took this high variance spot that's marginal against a pro for 50 bigs when like there's seven, six other VIPs at the table. Like what, you know what I mean? You don't have to take that spot. Like you can sure. play or select, you know, there's so many different things you can do in, in a tournament that I think are unique. Um, I've probably done things like that. Actually. Oh, I've definitely done things like that. <laughs> I'm, all the things I'm <laughs> preaching is because I've learned the hard way and I'm guilty of all the things that I said I shouldn't do like uh. hundreds of times. Like. Hundreds, hundreds of times. <laughs> really, we, we both made the mistakes to try to warn you. Don't, don't make the same mistakes before it's too late, but for sure people are going to do it anyway. That's one of those things in life where it's like, you know, fool learns from his own mistakes. A wise man learns from the mistakes of others, but it's well, that's the top. That's the top quality is you it's learn really from hard to be mistakes. the wise man, right? Like it's really hard to learn from the mistakes of other people what? and not make the mistake yourself. Like it's really hard in life to do that. I find, I think it's, have you, have you ever been the wise man? Have you been the wise man in any other situations or where I learned from the mistakes of others? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I'm sure there are instances, but I would say that, that the, the vast majority are things were like, in retrospect, some of the things that seem obvious now are things that like I was told at the time, but didn't like didn't do. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Like with like running up a big bankroll as as a young person, people are like, oh, you should invest more. You know, I was like eighteen. I made a lot, you, a lot of money playing online when I was eighteen, nineteen. People are like, oh, you should invest more and save and you don't did risk. invest, didn't you? Yeah, but not as much as like I should. You know, like I spent oh. too much. I spent a lot. Of, like I didn't have the 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 best saving habits and investing habits 
at that young age, I wasn't as mature as I am. And like, also the things, I guess the second mountain is different than the first one. Like the first time you run up a bankroll, if you lose it and run up a second time, you manage the money the second time different than the first time, because you sure. learn from the mistakes you made managing it the first time. Sure. So I didn't have the maturity and the not like, it's not only the knowledge, it's also the, like the execution and the maturity to do things the second time, the first time the same way I did the second time. And so it's like, I remember some of the things that people would throw around and tell you like older people or parents or like, you know, people that are wiser than you because they're older than you. Everyone's older than you at 18. Um, but it's like, you think you, I mean, you know, at, at least me, like, I think it's common to think, you know, everything. It's funny because I think it, it's a common thing people could probably relate to. Like the amount that you think, you know, relative to what's available is higher when you're younger, which is ironic because you know less when you're younger than when you're older. But like when I was younger, mm -hmm. it felt like, you know, I, I felt like I kind of, knew more whereas now i feel like i know less and i obviously know a lot more now than i knew when i was half my age at 18. but now i'm aware that like there's more than i don't know than what i do know so i when i approach a new situation now i'm like okay you know there's a lot more that i don't know so how do i like seek wisdom from the people around me to try and avoid those mistakes so sure. i think maybe now if we had this conversation in 10 years i'm going to have hopefully more examples of times when i learned from other people sure but <laughs> I've, I've sort of been growing up the past couple decades so yeah, for me it was more like the bigger, bigger things that I learned from other people um, than uh, the smaller, the smaller things. Uh, fortunately, I um, but one thing, big mistake that I made was when I invested, I didn't invest in things that were very reliable. I like, you know, I went for the, um, what's the tournament? The home run. Yeah, I went for a lot of home runs. You went for the, you went straight. You tried to win the tournament on day one. It's something like that. <laughs> uh, I invested a bunch in a bunch in things that were not. I mean, they're, some of them were probably good. Some of them were shit, for sure. A lot, of, a lot of them were shit. I mean, the quality went up over time, for sure. And uh, I would strongly recommend that that doesn't really... Some of that is good, but it's like um, most of what should happen with investing is something like... Uh, what is this guy's name? Um, the, Nassim Taleb calls this the barbell strategy, where like a lot of it should be in conservative assets and about uh, some percent should be in these like hyper aggressive assets that for sure can asymmetrically blow up which is now kind of closer to what i get to i'm still like a little bit leaning towards the asymmetric side just because i just don't think there's much but you have a higher having. risk tolerance because you're a poker player and like if you also have a, an ability to generate income you could be more risky with the income the bankroll you have because you can replenish that bankroll so i think it, you're that's, also young so i think that makes sense that's a bit true but also i'm thinking like there's not a whole lot of like difference between a lot of life EV difference between having like what, like, you know, multiple millions versus like a couple millions or whatever is money. Like, money has diminishing marginal utility, right? Like, yeah. I mean, there's a huge difference between, first of all, it's funny. Cause like they asked, I forgot who Charlie Munger, some of the, like the hardest part about becoming a billionaire. And he said like the first hundred thousand. Yeah, really? It's like a good quote, right? Cause it's like, it just kind of puts things into perspective. Like it's, uh, I, I heard a good, another good one too. It's like, you want to, do think I'm butchering this quote. I actually read it the other day, but it's like you're, you want to do things that can, you want to take big risks with small amounts of money that can increase your net worth when you don't have a lot. And then when you have a lot, you want to take small risks with a large amount of money to preserve what you have. Because like, it's kind of like gaining, it's like in tournaments, you know, gaining doesn't help you as much as losing hurts you when you have above a certain net worth that can that support your lifestyle. Yeah, that sounds like, right. If you control a lot of your time, I think, I think a big thing is like controlling a lot of your time increases the utility of the money that you have. So it's almost like when you have a certain amount of money, I think 
controlling more of your time becomes like the most important thing your time and your health because mm-hmm. your your health is your time is a function of your health obviously uh, it's like a downstream effect of, of how healthy you are but um that's a huge thing it's like you know what you can have 10 million dollars and you know be on someone else's schedule or have a million dollars and control all your time but the millionaire is almost wealthier than the guy that has 10 million because he can yeah. do whatever he wants and you still have enough money that like you know you can make that equation work if you can live in a country that's a lot cheaper. Oh yeah, yeah. You could spend forty thousand a year and live like well, live, live like a king and do whatever you right, want. Right, exactly. So it's like it's almost like money's only one part of that equation, but I think you know the time equation is a big part of that too. Sure. But I get what you're saying about the investment side, but it's fun to have the asymmetric bets. I mean, they're a lot more fun than like the buying a treasury. Like you know, it's cool to buy a treasury. <laughs> like yeah, you're yeah. preserving capital, but it's it's a lot more fun to own Bitcoin, frankly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Bitcoin's still probably a pretty good one, actually. To be fair. Um, I always advise a little bit of Bitcoin's a good idea is my personal guess up, but I, I can't, no financial advice. Um, I have no formal financial, like, uh, was licensed to give out any advice. Um, so, uh, actually that's the, the freedom aspect was what, um, specifically that I thought was really good about poker is that yeah. you answer to no one. If you, um, that's one of the most important things, actually, I didn't realize about poker is that you just can have total freedom. Whereas even in a lot of businesses, it's not really true. Even if you're like the CEO or whatever yeah. poker, you can do whatever the f- you want. It's a little bit of a double-edged sword. I mean, I'm in both spaces and it's interesting because, um, in business, I have a little bit more accountability where, you know, I have people that are involved and we're doing things together. And so it's like, if you know, you're going to not be a good leader, if you put a deadline on your team and then you don't hold up your end of the bargain to get that end of the deadline that empowers them to do their deadline. So it's almost like you have, a boss, which is the the nucleus of your team to get everyone moving along. And it's like, if, if you say, oh, well, I just don't feel like doing the job this week, then like you're, they're not going to perform well either. Yeah. So it's like, even if you're the boss, you kind of have a boss, which is like you serve your employees and your customers as well. Right. So it's like, you kind of have this motion to move forward. But on the, on the other side, it like, it, it keeps me accountable and it keeps me moving because it's like, it's fun to have hard deadlines with things that you want to do that are progress. I mean, they're self-imposed deadlines. Like I don't sure. have to build a new product. I don't have to scale the business. We don't have to do whatever, you know, don't have to do anything. Sure. But it's also fun that like I'm forcing myself to move forward and poker. Sure. It's a little bit of a double-edged sword where if you're not self-motivated and like, you're not very, um, you don't have to be very disciplined, but you, you have to, because you don't answer to anyone, you have to be the one that initiates all of the progress in your own poker playing. Sure. And that's hard for some people. And so like there's, there's that balance there, I think. I fortunately yeah. am naturally like a, a fast mover and I move things forward. So it's like, I've found that easier on, on the poker side, Yeah, but it's also just the luck of the draw, my personality in that, in that aspect. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't. Are you motivated to study? Like, did you, um, I'm motivated when I lose, I'm motivated when I like see, okay, there's something I don't understand here that someone else has figured out. Like if someone like says something to me and I realize I, I'm a little bit lucky, the way that I'm lucky is if I, if someone presents to me a logic that makes sense to me, my mind my mind can pick it up very fast and will like trigger something in my head where it's like, Oh shit, like something doesn't add up right here in my own schema. I gotta like figure this out. Uh, I think a lot of people don't have that where they're like constantly editing their like view of things. Um, that would probably be like, if anything, my special ability is I just like, I can like, I'm really open to new ideas, but I, uh, I am quite self-motivated. I would say, um, but I have found, especially to move my own self growth, having these like artificial, um, what are they like, uh, 
Uh, like deadlines? Yeah, deadlines yeah. of sorts. Um, right. That's what business is. You have those. Yeah. Th- that's what I found has really like helped me to, like for example, be more on schedule of things because, I mean, it, I-, I care about what other people, like how other people feel, but by nature I'm a bit more improvised and I don't really care that much about having like a strict schedule. But because of this, it's helped me to become like much more organized with my schedule, which has been a slow change in progress, to be honest. Um, it's really been bit of an effort to change from a poker player to someone who runs a podcast and also wants to like start a business and all this other stuff because you just have to be organized in order it's to true it. and it's really hard to give up that like complete like unforgive like uh, like just freedom where you just can do whatever whenever you can like if you want you can get up at a certain time you can work on a certain day you don't have to you can go play when you feel like playing you can sure. quit whenever you want to quit mm-hmm. it's hard to give that up so it's like it's yeah it's a, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a cool thing about poker. That's not in other, in other sports, even, even in other sports, you're on someone else's schedule in the oh, sense really? that like, I mean, think about it. Like you play tennis. I mean, you know, there's a tournament at a certain time you have to be there. It's kind of like that in poker, but you can play cash games, which gives you that complete freedom. If you want to just dip out of the tournament world, whereas, you know, you're, you're a competitive athlete. You have to be on a certain schedule at a certain time, or even if you're a musician, you're on tour at a certain you have deadlines and schedules like where you're, you know, you're following things along. So sure. poker is very unique in that way. It's almost like being a trader where mm-hmm. you can trade anytime the market's open or like crypto, right? You can trade anytime, 24 seven, any, any asset, anytime the market's open, like you just do anywhere in the, from anywhere in the world too. Mm-hmm. Um, poker's addicting like that. That's a blessing about poker for sure. So, um, that's what also, I like about investing too. It's very similar. Uh, uh, investing is, is you, you need to do more due diligence and make sure people are, Right, uh, actually good as well. But you could do it on your own. You could do, that's that's fair. But you can do it on your own time, and you can do it from anywhere. Yeah, like th- having those two things of like controlling the microstructure of your day and controlling your physical location is like a large part of at least for me, like what I construct as like the freedom element. If I have those two things, then it's like okay, you can you can make it into something that doesn't feel like work. I mean, hypothetically, you can look at a deck at a pool, and you're sure. like, okay, I'm working, but I'm not working, right? So it's like sure. you, could, you can like trick yourself into like getting more, doing more things without feeling like constrained in an environment or a physical location, sure. which for poker is huge. I mean, sometimes when I'm burnt out, you know, you go to a new city and play an event in there and you're re-energized because you're like, okay, now I'm in Barcelona playing the tournament here. So it's like, I don't feel like I'm in the grind. So mm-hmm. I think that's a huge part of what I've thrived in poker too. Yeah. I mean, poker is a bit more relaxing in many ways. So, um, Tell us a bit more about uh, how you transitioned from poker into coaching and in, I, I understand you have poker related business yeah. as well. I mean, so the coaching thing, so that, that was like a second order effect. I mean, the, the real first thing that happened um, was starting to create content on YouTube. And I was early to that space. Mm-hmm. I think it was 2013, I was in Macau and I, wanted to share more of my poker journey and connect with other people and just talk about what was happening. And I thought it would be a fun idea to just say, Hey, okay, today I'm at the win with star world, whatever. Um, I'm going to just share a hand of poker that I played that was interesting and then tell you my thoughts and how I did it and engage with the community. And so that kind of started like the brand side of things in poker. I guess I, you know, I wrote for card player earlier and I did like had my own blog and stuff like that, but that kind of started like, putting myself out there and that caught on. And so from that, starting to build a brand in poker, I started to get a lot of inbound requests from people that were like, Hey, I see that you're, you know, good at strategy. You're good at explaining. I've learned from you. 
would you have a book or do you have a course or do you have coaching? And then, so it started to become this inbound thing where I realized, okay, there's a market for this and I, I have my own market. There's not only a market in the poker world, but there's also like a market for me as someone in this space. And so I put everything together in a book and then I started doing coaching and it kind of built organically. And then, you know, conscious poker was uh, 2017, but I started coaching even before that and just taking clients on and people would DM me and like, it was just very casual and stuff like that. And so it kind of happened organically. I didn't necessarily start the YouTube to start. When I started my YouTube, I, I didn't think, hey, this is gonna be like a backdoor vehicle to start a poker training site. That was, you know, end up being like three years later. Isn't um, it like not that easy to start a YouTube? Like, isn't it like not that easy to put something online on YouTube? Yeah, I mean, it's, it. I mean, now it's a lot, there's a lot better things and it's a lot easier. It's It's mainly just like, the consistency and putting yourself out there and, mm -hmm. you know, sticking with it. And so I saw that grow. It was also at a time where people weren't doing it. Like the hand of the day wasn't, I mean, that, that was, that's kind of what I led with. And that was kind of like, wasn't really a thing where people were breaking down hands of poker online. So sure. it caught on, caught on pretty quick uh, early on. And so that was, that was, that was a fun part of it. That it was just like cool. And then I was like in different locations traveling around and I would always share a hand and like the lifestyle side of things too. So, um, yeah, my, you know, we would film things in different places and then put them in a replayer and share it. And it was fun. So mm -hmm. that, that's, that's kind of how it started. I mean, it just kind of happened organically and, uh, it's grown, you know, since then, obviously we've been in it, been in it a number of years. Now we have courses and things are like, you know, learn poker from the ground up. So I kind of, I guess, I guess what I did is like basically in coaching a lot of people over the years and like synthesizing my thoughts into like a cohesive way for that other people can understand really helped me better understand how someone can learn poker and also the commonalities that people struggle with. And so I took a lot of the lessons I learned from coaching other people and the common things that people struggle with. And then I thought to myself, okay, how can I break this down in a way that's linear so that someone could start at the beginning and go from like, you know, level one, level two, level three, level four mm -hmm. on their poker journey. Like sure. what are the basic things they need to know from fundamentals to preflop play to the math to you know, hand reading and like kind of build all that in a linear course. And so that's a lot more of what we have now in like our membership at Conscious Poker. It's a lot more refined and articulate than it was in the beginning. Sure. Um, and so now we have like a community and like it, it's grown a lot since then. Uh, and it's rewarding. It's cool. Like it's mm -hmm. cool to see what, you know, you I've built over time you know, with, with what we've done. So it's really cool. Sure. Okay. Uh, cool. It's different than poker because, you know, it's like there's like physical things that are created from it. And so... Uh, I got to write a book called The Poker Coach, which was cool. What um, was the book called? The Poker Coach. Oh, really? Yeah. It wasn't my idea for the name, but it kind of stuck. And um, yeah, it was cool. It's also like a linear thing to follow. So it's like, you know, if you're starting and you want to go from where you are to where you want to go, this is like a linear program to get you there. So it's very, it's very practical, I think. Mm -hmm. A lot of the stuff that I that I focus on. And uh, it's been rewarding because, you know, you, you see a lot of people's things that they struggle with and then you're trying to like help them become better at making decisions. And so like a lot of people find that through the game of poker, they learn a lot of things that help them outside of poker. So it's really rewarding when a client tells me, okay, Hey, you know, I used to be a losing player. You know, guy, guy came to me, uh, you know, a couple months ago, he was losing $8 an hour and now he's winning $60 an hour. Mm -hmm. So it's rewarding to see like the superficial change of like his monetary improvement. But it's also rewarding when he says like, Hey, I've become you know, a more disciplined person because I used to have this tilt control problem. And then, you know, we worked on this like, these like mental tactics and like, you know, how to control tilt. And then we worked on like the strategy and the decision-making and a lot of these things I've now applied to like areas outside of poker. Oh, like what kind of stuff? 
Well, I mean, so if you can be like a more overall, so there's like two kind of components, right? You can be better at playing poker, which is like the strategy, or you can be a better poker player, which is like the intangibles of the game. So when it comes to strategy, if you have like a linear formulated process that you use as a checklist in every hand you play mm -hmm. of like, hey, this is, this is the situation, right? Yeah. And this is the risk, this is the reward, and this is the probability, what's the EV? If you can get to that point and you can flex that muscle, you know, a thousand times by doing that every hand of poker, you start to see the world that way. Sure. It just becomes the way that you naturally synthesize a situation. So when you see it, when you see a new deck, when you see an investment, when you look at Bitcoin, you say, okay, this is, this is the market cap. This is the problem. This is the solution. This is the expectation. I mean, this is the, this is the asymmetry. Like what is the EV? And then you start to evaluate investments and everything else you do in that framework. Sure. Yeah. So it's like, it's a really good utility to be able to reason through a hand of poker. And if you could teach that to someone and you could kind of change the way they think through a hand, it, it really then bleeds over into other areas of their life. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I actually, you know what the funny thing is, I've, um, I've thought of a lot of things that were a little bit unconventional to view in that kind of light, especially social interaction, because I personally had to break it down a lot, someone who had mild autism or whatever. Um, and actually in social interaction, things became relatively clear for the most part. But um, in investment specifically, I did apply that framework and ultimately a big a thing that I had because I was looking at all these speculative investments and not something that was like super analyzable and like simple to deal with. I often came to this conclusion of like, okay, I don't really understand this business enough to really make like sound conclusions because I can't just look at the EV of things uh, unless I understand the business more. So I was like, I don't know right. a lot of the time is the irony for me anyways, when I was looking at investing in various businesses. So I had a lot of like, uh, I'm not sure. Um, but I could see, especially how it would relate a lot, of, uh, a lot to like, I mean, maybe it still does in businesses as well, but the problem is that, um, I mean, I learned, I, I learned basically, okay, I had actually had to get better at like analyzing people a bit better and seeing like, what was it that would make someone a good, you know, CEO or whatever, like how those things matter and, yeah. and that kind of thing. And like, who's actually good at their job and stuff like that. Uh, um, Poker teaches you to read people too, right? I mean, it teaches you to trust your instincts and hone those instincts in a way that you kind of get a read for people of where they're at with small yeah. amounts of information. I, I started to see some crossover between poker and the real world. Although a big issue was I tended, actually I had this, this transition in poker where I believe people a lot, where I started to like realize, okay, people are a little bit more full of shit than I thought. Um, yeah, maybe become a little more cynical as as your age. That's kind of common, I think. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. That's one of those things where, like, <laughs> did you learn from the mistakes of others or your own mistakes? You know, it's something I, yeah. I think everyone has to learn the hard way to some yeah. extent. Yeah, I'm curious if you had the same experience with investing as I did with poker, or did you invest in a lot of speculative stuff yourself? Well, I think the interesting thing about the investment side is like, um, you know, when you when you when you reach a certain level in poker and you get a certain level of proficiency, you realize that it's very hard to get to be very good at one thing. Like I'm only good at, you know, no limit hold'em, mm -hmm. cash games and tournaments. I'm not good at, you know, studied or better, but I'm a poker player. So like even within a niche, there's there's so many different niches and like most people are only experts in one specific thing. Right? You have all these forms of different doctors that are only doing one specific thing. Sure. And so when you're investing, you know, when I'm analyzing other businesses and other things, I really try and stay in my lane and I, I try and think like, okay, there's always more that I don't know than I do know. And if I'm analyzing like a, you know, a business in something that I know nothing about, cause I'm not a consumer, I don't use the product. I don't know about the industry. I'm not an expert in that space. Like I'm not going to have an edge. And so like 
that's been a really humbling thing too is just realizing like i'm not it's it's hard to even in, to vet an investment without having that expertise but then realizing that it's hard to have that expertise in poker means that i don't have that expertise in other areas of life like i'm only good at a couple things and everything else i'm pretty bad at i kind of suck at everything else yeah so um that's kind of where i tried to stay in my lane in the investing side and so i tried to do things that like i know well which you know it's crypto space i think i know like confident i know that's something i think i know and then like on the investment side it's like how do i be able to evaluate this company in a way that like i could see their unique value differentiator i could understand their marketing i could understand their customers i could use their product and sure. i can understand that space well enough to be able to vet it and say like i get it or if it's investing in a business the same thing sure sure uh yeah okay so you did sort of have a similar experience yeah at least, like, most things i look at i'm like it looks great but like I'm not qualified to tell you if it's great or not. So I can't invest in it. Like, I'm sure your product is great. And I get hit up all the time on social media. I'm sure you do too. Like people like, hey, you want to do this or invest in that or have an idea, here's a deck. Like, sure. But like, I just can't, I'm not qualified to even like, sure. you know? So yeah. I just have to say no to most things. Yeah, what I, what I ended up kind of doing is like basically finding other experts and other uh, people slowly. I mean, I didn't really focus that much on investing, but that was essentially the plan that I came up with. Um, and another thing that really reminded me of poker a lot was uh, this like general theme of overconfidence you see with the people that bring you investments. It's like constantly, oh, this this is a guaranteed return. Oh yeah, oh, like it's a, this is the next biggest thing. Like blah blah blah. I've heard this so many fucking times, and I'm just like, oh my god. Yeah, I think, I think you know, hyperbole is has its place potentially, but when when it comes to finance and numbers, when people are using hyperbole, it's it's like a yeah, it's a concerning thing because yeah, it's it's only going to produce what it's going to produce, right? And there's there's obviously risks, and so I mean, I'm typically more optimistic, so I'm mostly focused on the upside. Like I'm very focused on the upside side of things, but like I've learned to also be very aware of like Warren Buffett's first rule is like don't lose money, you know. So it's like everything has to come through the lens of okay, what is the asymmetry in the upside, but how am I going to lose money? You know, like True. what are all the ways I'm going to lose money? And so like you have to be completely prepared for the downside, kind of like a poker game. Like you go yeah. there expecting to win. Yeah, you go to the tournament. You go to the tournament. You go to the game. You expect to cash. You expect to win. But I'm buying in a thousand or ten thousand, whatever. Like I'm prepared to lose whatever I invest. And so, so, like that's kind of the same thing I've taken over to the investing side from poker. Sure, sure. I think it's helpful. Uh, yeah, I can see how like it'd be really helpful, almost like stoic practice, almost to look at precisely at how to lose money first before looking at the gaining money, because everyone wants to look at the gaining money part. Uh, whereas if you figure out what your potential losses would be, um, like that can be, that's like the, that's like a pretty big thing. It's like what the actual costs. That's are. the risk. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone wants to focus on the gain, but the risk is what breaks people. You know, yeah. nobody has problems from making too much money. They only have problems from losing too much money yeah. or relative to what they can afford to lose. But I think you mentioned the stoic thing, you know, the second thing with not, not just with the coaching, but personal, personal journey you could probably relate is like. You can be better at playing poker, which helps you with the strategy, but you can be a better poker player, which is like the mindset, the emotional mastery, the discipline, the intangibles. If you can manage uh, to become, you know, very competitive at something and you can, you know, sh you could bring the best version of yourself to the table, like that's a very good process and that's a very good skill. And that's like a healthy habit where you're, you know, you have emotional mastery. You're not getting, you're not reacting to what happens in mm -hmm. the world like that sure. that's a very important thing when you're not For reactive sure. to your environment you're not reactive to your reality you're like you're not looking at it like you're a victim you're looking at it like okay i can control this i can change it i can influence it i can change how what i do i can change the inputs to create different outputs sure. so when you're able to have that level 
um, that, that mental state that you, you have to have in poker. Otherwise you're just drawing dead. Like if you're reactive to the outcome, you're going to tilt and lose. You're drawing dead. Like it doesn't yeah. matter how good you are. You cannot win. And so if you can, you can hopefully like on the coaching side instill that in other people. But if you can build that up yourself, like that resilience, that discipline, that emotional mastery, I think, um, it's a lifelong journey. It's something I'm still trying to get better at. I still have a lot to learn and a lot to grow, Sure. but improving over the years has helped me in other areas of life too. Like when bad things happen in, in life outside of poker, like you have a framework for how to look at those things and how to deal with those things. That is true. Yes. If you apply that kind of mentality in poker towards other things, um, actually there's very, very closely does parallel real life because like in real life, you know, you don't, there's a lot of things you can't control. There's a lot of bad shit that happens that you can't control at all, but you have to look at where that edge is at to to uh, make a difference. And there, and if you're constantly thinking, oh, I got coolered from the aces versus the ace king or whatever, like, yeah. it's pointless to even look at this. Um, uh, and this kind of mindset in real life, if you think about it, does eventually carry over to losing more in real life because you're just like sitting there and you're always like powerless and you just keep just basically taking it. There's how, how does this create like a winning situation? Because it, it can't, because you're just not doing anything about the things you can do. Yeah. Um, and therefore, if you continue this out over the long run, it, it uh, can't create results. <laughs> it can't create something good. Yeah, I mean, you create your reality by what you focus on. So if you're focusing on losing and running bad and being the victim in problems, like you're that's where you're like magnifying in the in, in your in your life anyway. So it's like focusing on what you can control and how to get better and how to improve and how to avoid, you know, the coolers. Like one one interesting thing that happened to me like early on in my career that kind of changed the way I saw this thing is like I was playing a tournament. I qualified for an event in the Bahamas. I think it was like 18. And I get it all in and I lose two flips in a row and the last the second flip I lose, I have like ace 10 to sixes. I don't remember which side I was on. I think I had ace 10. And I get it all in against Johnny Bax, like Cliff Josephy. He was like the best online tournament player at the time. Sure. And I said some like smug remark after I lost, like he beat me in the flip and I had busted the tournament. It was like day two or day three or something like that. And I was devastated because it was like my first major live tournament and like get to day two or whatever. And it's like a huge amount of money for me. Cashing would, I qualified. So cashing would have been like a huge deal. And I make some smug remark like, oh my gosh, I'm so unlucky. Like I never win my flips. I lost two in a row, which is not never, it's 25%. But anyway, I make this remark and he looks at me and he says, you'd still be in the tournament if you played your hands differently and had more chips so that you could withstand losing the flips. Sure. And I was like, shit, you know, like that comment still stuck with me today. Like I remember him saying, like he didn't say it exactly like that, but he basically said, it's your fault you didn't have more chips to, to begin with. And I was like, sure. shit, I never thought about that. Like if I played better earlier, I would have had more chips and I would have lost the flip and then I would still be in the tournament. So it's my fault. And that was like, wow, like everything's my fault. Like from that on, I just kind of had this like sure. 180 extreme view, like everything's my fault. I'm just gonna like take full responsibility for everything. And I, that's been a, a journey, but like, I think that's been super helpful as like a heuristic for life. And sure. Like I learned that in poker, you know, like I don't, sure. think, I don't think you're na people naturally think that way necessarily. So. Yeah, yeah, they don't definitely don't naturally think that way. I personally wouldn't, I personally don't feel everything is everything's your fault exactly that I wouldn't view, say it like that personally. Yeah, maybe that's a little too extreme. I would say, I just would say, well, there's all these other things you could focus on that would like create like more of an edge and made, giving it like 20% chance, which is 20% chance would have like been, you know, that would been pretty massive, right? Yeah. Looking at the math, mathematics or whatever. I, but I think for a lot of people, like looking at it that way can be, you know, quite a big improvement than like, ah, oh, over and over and like uh, not doing anything about it specifically. 
Um, Definitely. Uh, Poker has a lot of things like that where a lot of a lot of expensive lessons that you learn through losing. Frankly, it's yeah. mostly through losing that you kind of you know reshape and relearn these things. I think one thing I want to say is about at least investments. I don't know if it's so much true in poker, uh, but I guess there's some parallel. Is that uh, one? trait that I find to be a little bit uh, a little bit bad uh, actually is if people are like very excited about a certain idea and they like try to like try to leverage the um, how do you say it? leverage the sales based on their level of excitement and how exciting everything is because it's kind of like uses emotion in a manipulative kind of way where yeah I mean in investing, I mean, there's definitely that there's definitely, there's definitely like, I mean, there's certain people that are doing it to sell an investment to get other people to buy into it. Yeah, for sure. And that, that could be done in a manipulative way. But there's also like a really big group think in investments where like there's a consensus and the market psychology is very locked into what consensus is so mm -hmm. especially in markets like crypto where oh for sure this happens in poker too yeah all like the time. two years ago everyone wanted to buy crypto and it's funny because the price was two three times as high but everyone wanted it now the price is a third it's the same asset like bitcoin solves the same <laughs> problem as it solved two years ago in fact it solves i mean you could argue that it's a better asset now because it's it's <laughs> it's had two more years of blocks being created where it's like more decentralized than it was in the future so it's arguably a better asset now but now nobody wants to touch it and it's like a lot of people oh, no, are it's lost of, money. Right. It's like a lot. So it's a lot of it is like there, there is that sales side of it, but there's also like this collective energy where like people get people converge around an idea and then it's like it, it snowballs and it builds upon itself and like everyone's kind of piling into a certain investment or asset and there's, Oh yeah. Yeah. This, so there's a lot of that too. in 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 all, in all investments, VC as well, like startups where, Hey, this yeah. round is closing. Everyone's piling in. Like you got to get your allocation. Like FOMO is a huge part of, yeah, yeah. but uh, to come back to your point, a lot of it's about separating your own emotions from the quality of the decision. And yeah. so like in poker, you can get married to a hand. I think that's probably the closest analogy in poker is like, you know, you call the flop, you call the turn. I have to call the river. You're married to the outcome, mm -hmm. but you're no longer thinking objectively. You're just thinking about like, I want to win the pot. Sure. And so it's like that in investing too, where it's like, I got to get in the deal or I, everyone, everyone's piling in. This is the best, the next, the next hundred X or whatever it is in crypto. Yeah. Um, I can think of some, some examples in poker that are maybe not as obvious. Uh, one would be, there's a certain way people uh, thinking about poker that people had for a very, very long time. And along came the uh, simulations and it just totally revamped the way that everyone looked at poker and made people realize, okay, we've actually been playing, slowly people realize, okay, we've actually been playing thing, playing wrong the entire time. It's pretty suboptimal, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like Even like three bet sizing, like nobody thought to three bet a large sizing preflop. Like yeah. That wasn't a thing before solvers, like legitimately just for 10 years, like mm -hmm. it would seem crazy to make someone makes it, you know, you're, 2x and you make it 10x like that would be kind of crazy it could be like a crazy play like a loose play and you show down a bad hand and like oh this guy's crazy now it's just like standard oh, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of things like that with solvers. a bunch of things or like overbetting the pot like legitimately wasn't a thing for like the first five ten years i was playing poker yeah, like people did it occasionally that were like spazzing out but it was never looked at like as a, as a tactic strategy mm -hmm. wasn't common at all now it's like very common not not very common but it's everyone's seen an overbet i would say pretty much I mean, it still feels like somewhat rare, but yeah, uh, people didn't really use overbets that much. But that's just like, 
just proof that like people are locked into this like consensus of like you could only bet up to the size of the pot. Like that was a collective agreement that all the poker players had, right? It was like it was a collective psychology. It was like, it's like no, you can't overbet, the right? Pot. It's like you couldn't. Like the limit to how much you could bet is fifty dollars because there's fifty dollars in the pot. So you can bet you know twenty, you can bet thirty, you can bet fifty. Fifty would kind of be crazy, right? If the pot's sure. fifty, you bet fifty. It's like oh shit. Mm -hmm. But now it's like you can bet a hundred. It's like yeah. solvers kind of allowed people to think outside the box, I think, in a way. Actually, one interesting parallel of sorts to this that I recently learned is that if you get a bunch of people together in like a group, uh, this group does tend to adopt some variation of group think. So it's actually good with the way that uh, evolution has kind of designed human minds and that everyone thinks independently. But the trick is to kind of like um, to more independently come there to independently have various different conclusions and this results in a better uh, view overall somehow. Um, but what I mean is, uh, basically to avoid group think what you do or this group collective consciousness thing is to, um, to have some like elements of separation, have these elements of separation, come up with ideas on their own through, through efforts. Um, and uh, this seems to be work well for businesses and uh, also for for a few different ideas and to avoid like uh, crowd madness and all that. This is something I've been reading into. And also, um, I believe, uh, did you read the, read the book Range by chance? I heard of it. I know it was popular. I didn't read that one. I didn't read it. You didn't get into the group. Uh, you didn't get into the group consciousness on this one, did you? I did not. But you know about that, like, it's kind of like common in poker, I think when you send a hand to someone, like if I were to send you a hand and say like, hey, what, what do you think about my play? I would never send you the results because then you could be influenced by the outcome. Yeah. And so that's kind of like, oh, well, you know, this is the result, therefore that's the right way to play the hand. And I think that's pretty, an interesting lesson in poker too. It's like, you can play the hand well and still lose and you can play the hand wrong and, and, and win. And so there's like a little bit of that non-reinforcement of like oh. only thinking about what other people think or only thinking about the outcome. I do think that's really one of the better things in poker, uh, for sure. Yeah. To separate the element of luck from an outcome is a hard thing to do in life as well. Yeah. hundred percent. It's very unique here, here, maybe in trading. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about tr nothing about trading. You also, yeah. It's also like, it made me think differently about luck in the sense that, Okay, like I got lucky that you know you can get lucky in life too. Where like, oh, I got lucky to meet this person, right? Sure. It's like, okay, well, how did we meet? Oh, we were at the same coffee shop at the same time. So like, it's kind of like, oh, the flop came and I flopped the set. Like I, I couldn't do anything. You know, I just got lucky. But like, there's also like, okay, how do you create that luck in life too? Like, okay, well, you maybe go work at the coffee shop so that you have more, like, like you said, increase twenty percent. Well, if I work at home, I have zero chance of meeting anyone, right? But like, no one's gonna knock on your door and be like the love of your life or like a business partner or a friend, right? They're just not, not gonna show up. But if you work at a coffee shop, you know, maybe you increase that chance by 2%. But if you do 2%, you know, you, you see James Clear, you do 1% better every day, it's like 37% better at the end of the year. So it's like, if you increase your probability to get lucky in any aspect of life by 1% a day, like at the end of the year, you're just luckier than everyone, you're luckier than everyone else. Sure. So it's like, you're not, you're like consciously like creating that luck through action and decisions. Sure. So cool. there's a lot of that in life too, that like poker's kind of helped me think about that framework of, of okay, oh, this guy, you know, you see, you know, see them, see those players that always seem to like get lucky when they flop a hand with like a suited connector or a set, but like they're always in a spot where they're in a multi-way pot with a pocket sevens on the button. And so like, yeah, they get lucky, but like if they lose, if they lose the pot, they lose 
three big blinds. If they win, they win 300. Sure. So the asymmetry's there. Like if you go to the coffee shop, you don't meet anyone, you just go home. Yeah. But if you meet the love of your life or like a new business partner, like there's the asymmetry. That's like doubling up with a set. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's kind of like that in life too, where I look at those. That's why, by the way, those throw, frameworks. That's why, by the way, I throw parties. Right. Precisely for this reason is uh, to create those variations of, of uh, asymmetry. Or I, I mean, I personally viewed. Um, super smart. Huh? That's super smart. That's a cool idea. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, but basically, I've started throwing parties in Los Angeles, partly for this reason. Uh, there was more to that story, as it turns out, because um, there you you have to select for the right kind of people and all that. I mean, there's like there's some uh, negative asymmetry too. Like if you filter for the wrong kind of people, or you create more environments that filter for the wrong kind of people. Um, this does uh, it can lead to bad situations as well. But um, yeah, you want to create that uh, the those asymmetric potential results that create lucky things to happen. That eventually you get the luckier guy after you had a lot of those things happen. Essentially, one one interesting thing to do is just trace back like how something that's created or manifesting or happening right now in your life like actually started. And that's something that's fun that I do. Where it's like, oh, okay, I like whatever, like I went on a different podcast. I'm going on a different podcast on Thursday. I was like, okay, well, how did I get on this podcast? Well, I, the guy introduced me. Like, how did he introduce me? Well, I met him through someone else that introduced me to him. And then how did I meet that guy? And so I just go back the train. And then it's like, a lot of times it comes down to like, oh, I met them at a coffee shop because I was there that day. And so it's like that, if you look at that 2% thing that you did to get a little bit luckier, like that could compound into something that physically is created, you know, a year from then, but is that, is a, something that people would say would just be luck or like serendipitous. So I think there's there's that part of it too that's really interesting to do. That's like a fun exercise I try and do. Oh, I think that's a good idea. I mean, I do that quite a lot with my behaviors and things like this. This is a bit how I ended up changing a lot of my behaviors. In fact, is I trace them back to, or trace certain results back to where was a byproduct of them. I mean, it can be like, I think it's like not that hard. It's just not that usual of a thing that people do, I think. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people just kind of, I could be wrong, but it feels like a lot of people just kind of like do whatever they do socially and just um, or do whatever they do in life and don't really think too deeply about it is my guess. I'm not 100% sure because it just feels like people do the same shit over and over. Um, can you give some examples of things that you've done like that? The same thing over, like ways to create luck? Same things where you retraced your um, results of what you had done back to their roots so that you could see how they were byproducts of what you did in the past, negative or positive? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, putting on the spot here and it's like, I'm going through like a six month retracement of one decision that led to another outcome. I can uh, give some examples for myself. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, um, one example was, I mean, one of my earliest examples to be honest is uh, I had, you know, I've talked about this before, but definitely at an early age, I figured out that I was like quite gifted. So it translated in some ways because into arrogance. Um, and so at some point I realized, oh shit, this arrogance is not serving me because one, like I could see easily by talking to other people or whatever, that people had lots of ideas that were better than mine, in fact, and it like hurt me to be closed off to other people. And two, no one would, uh, no one likes that. No one like appreciates that. So you're gonna close doors by doing this. Um, and it like, didn't really, it may have made me feel good temporarily, but not eventually like it would like result in loneliness, uh, being lonelier or whatever. Um, this was around when I was like 17 or so. Mm. Um, 
I think people in poker do often tend to have these arrogant thought processes. Like certainly if I, if someone's like arrogant towards me, it's like a challenge. It's like, Oh, you think you're better than me? Blah, blah, blah. Like I'll like find all these ways to try to like look better, feel better than them. It's just probably stupid also. Um, but it'll close a lot of people off. And basically I just realized, okay, I mean, clearly I'm wrong. And secondly, uh, and secondly, mm, it's not too good to close doors with other friends and people along these lines um, and piss off friends, especially. So I stopped that habit uh, pretty early, fortunately. And uh, yeah, I think, um, I think that's uh, one of the it, it, uh, parallel to that in poker would be basically, you know, if you're like too aggressive preflop, yeah, you'll win a lot of pots preflop. It'll feel good in that moment versus if you're, um, but it'll cost you money in the long run uh, versus like have like point. less three bets and more calls. You'll like, you know, you know, you won't win as much money and won't feel quite as good initially, but it'll eventually make you more money in the long run in a lot of situations. Yeah, I guess I look at things. So maybe I have a more gen generic heuristic, which is just that like most great things in life happen from asymmetries and most asymmetries come from people. Like in um, terms of your- That's good. Yeah, if you can, if you provide a different example, that's perfect. Yeah, like your 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 joy or your happiness or your best moments or your fulfillment, they're mostly like around other people, right? Whether they're friends or like a spouse or, or family or, you know, you accomplish something. It's usually like because there's other people involved that helped you with like a business or whatever. So it's like, I try and think of things in terms of like, how do I, how do I have asymmetry to the upside of like meeting more and attracting more like great people into my life, like friends, like I want to make more friends. Okay. So I go to a party, you invite me to a party, I go to the party. Cool. Like maybe I'll make one friend. If I don't make a friend, doesn't matter. I go home and I had two hours of time. Even if I don't enjoy myself, like at something, not that I want to enjoy myself at your party, but like if I don't enjoy myself doing something, I don't look at it like, you know, I'm not like afraid of that, of, of that, right? The downside is very small. And so I just try and look at things in, in, in general of like, how do I, have asymmetries to the upside that are surrounded that are, that are involving other people. And so like if there's events like that or things like that or things that I could do or like people I could meet or like that's why social media has been really interesting too. It's just like I've kind of learned that through through YouTube is like that's a great example. Okay, fine. And you're like, okay, let's tr trace something back. Like an obvious one would just be like, oh, I have a client today and they come to me and I say, hey, you know, John, where'd you find me? It's 2023. John's like, oh, I watched your YouTube video. And I'm like, oh, what was your favorite? And he says one, it was 20 from 2017. And so like that YouTube video led to him like going on a journey and then like we end up working together. And then maybe with that client, we end up becoming friends or like I've done investments with some of my clients. You're like, it's cool. Like mm -hmm. it's just these things like happen in life that sure. spawn from one idea to like put yourself out there on YouTube, which again, leads to this idea that all the asymmetry comes from other people. Cause like you're creating content and then you're bringing people into your life. So it's like, there's so many things like that. And I just kind of look for things like that. And, and it's just like a good, I think a good way to live life. Like just be kind to everyone. And, yeah. um, you know, every, all, all the upside in life is like around from other people. Like you just yeah. won't, won't have fun if you owned the whole world, but you were here alone. Right. Like uh, it, for sure. Yeah. Like that would be torture. So like, <laughs> you know, um, that's how I think about things. Yeah. I mean, uh, that makes a, that makes a ton of sense to me. This is kind of how I view things and what be, uh, spawned my interest in uh, things like social media and like YouTube and all of that too. And so, you know, this has also led me to a different kind of uh, passion of sorts, which is like the same things you said that could lead someone on the journey to sort po something positive or not can also lead them on something negative, uh, like potentially, like if someone creates a negative YouTube of YouTube of, of a, of a negative, um, 
a way of doing things like a for for for, for excuse me for example for like a they they make a youtube of them being like a victim blah 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 and then a bunch of other people watch that like shit yeah you're right no i'm a victim too blah 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 and it like cascades yeah yeah, yeah. now this creates a very bad thing you have like an imprint in collective consciousness yeah it's a responsibility yeah. to like yeah but like the total sure. the total opposite can happen as well like someone could be like no i was i realized i was a victim but actually like i realized oh shit like had i behaved in this way and this way i could have like totally changed my situation and had like a better situation and created a better situation in the future like that has the total opposite effect and other people realize holy I've been a victim too this entire time and blah, blah, blah. Maybe I'll make a video too. And you know, you know what I mean? So there's like a really, really scalable, powerful thing that can happen from things like uh, social media. And it's kind of like, what do you put out there that uh, social media, YouTube or Depends whatever how you it is. use it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everyone complains about social media. I think it's very common in our life to be like, yeah, everyone's on social all the time. And it's like, there's definitely downsides, but we've also like, democratized all of information and like everyone has a platform now. So it's not like, you yeah. know, the communication and the news and everything is gatekept by like a small group of people that are trying to sell you or influence you on something like, sure. you know, propaganda or whatever it is, For sure. right? Like now we have democratic information. We have access to all the world's information. We have access to every, every one in the world. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you can reach out on social media and connect with someone that like would have been impossible. Like I remember when I was a kid, um, I used to have this like book or, th or these things about like famous athletes addresses that I was like a fan of and I would like write them a handwritten letter yeah. and like you would mail it and then like they would mail you back like an autograph or like you know something like that they would sometimes read it or maybe it was their assistant or it was like a standardized whatever depending on who it was but like now you could just DM them on Twitter <laughs> like you know you could just respond <laughs> to their Twitter and then like you could build a relationship with someone like today I mean yeah, like that's yeah. so cool so I mean a lot of cool things are it depends how you use social, right? Like you can let it ruin your life. It could ruin your life if you're like engaging with arguments with people on Twitter and just like toxic fighting with people about over dumb shit. But like it could also enhance your life if you're using it. Yeah. In a constructive way, I think. Oh, for sure. It's like a tool, right? Like fire can burn down a building or it could like help you cook and survive. Like. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I think uh, social media is never really a bad thing. It just like blew up a platform for everyone to put out their like negative values or positive values really. And a lot of neg <laughs> negative values just like kind of the... Uh, at least for the moment have taken over a lot of like Instagram and things like that. And uh, I mean, there are ways of like nudging positive values and negative values as well. But I think a lot of the uh, social media platforms have not necessarily yeah, the too much. The algorithm is more, and I've, I've seen people post things like this where like if they post like a helpful tip about business, it gets whatever one unit of views and if they post like a provocative thought about something it gets like 10 times as many views even if that's not what they're like an expert in and so like the algorithm sort of engaged like all, constructed yeah. in a way to in, to augment things that create engagement and usually people are engaged when they're triggered you right. know so if you like put out a statement about politics or identity or like religion like people would be triggered like either they would agree with you and they would lo love what you say, or they would be triggered and be like, this guy's an idiot. I'm going to tell him why. So they would like want to talk about that sort of thing. Whereas if you just say like, Oh, you know, check, raise the flop or whatever, like they're maybe they just, they have like a neutral emotion. Sure. But it's that's, that's like one of the downsides. That's, that's a hard thing to optimize for. I think is like, how do you, how do you create a filter to where, you know, the positive things rise to the surface? Like the, the, the values that we want are being augmented. Whereas like we're shunning away the, the problems, but that's, that's a, that's a big challenge. That is that is very uh, big trick. Okay, why don't we talk about your triathlon uh, oh, stuff before we forget? Because this is a whole other area 
you know, that uh, I think is pretty cool. You're doing these impressive feats. I mean, so I did, so I appreciate the kind words. I've done one triathlon once when I was like 22. I mm-hmm. did an Olympic one, which is oh well. So yeah, yeah I'm not. I can't say I'm like a triathlete. I've done one once. Oh, um, oh. but I appreciate it. I was never good at the run. So like, even my best time running was like a nine minute mile. Granted, it was like a mile elevation gain. So it was like actually, I probably could have ran eight thirty if I was running on flat. But like, that's pretty bad for a compet- like a, for competing. Like an eight thirty, sure. an eight thirty mile for it was a ten k, so six point two miles. Um, oh. Obviously, it's good if you never run. Like that. Okay, that's good after swimming and biking. That seems impressive. But like. In my group of people that were competing, I was like very bad at running. I was like very bad. I hated the run. I never did the run well. I was very good at swimming. I loved the swim. Unfortunately, when you measure time, swimming is the least important discipline because it's like you swim for 30 minutes. So even if I'm faster than you, I'll swim five minutes faster than you, which is like a huge deal in a 30 minute swim. But then if you're faster at biking, it takes me two hours to bike, takes you an hour and a half while I'm just drawing dead. So like I was the best at the thing that mattered the least. I still accomplished my goal, which was completed in under three hours. I did 249. I'm like very proud of. I was like, I still, okay, you still did something. I still did something. Yeah. Um, I'm proud of it. But I that run was so brutal. I just still to this day, I, I still run because I hate it. So I like the mental challenge of forcing myself to do something I don't like to like overcome it so that <laughs> you I'm run always because you hate it. Yeah, I run because I hate it. Maybe like I if I liked run running, I would probably do it. You know, like I like biking, but I never bike anymore. I swim because I love swimming. But if I liked running, I probably wouldn't do it. If I loved it, I would do it. But if I just liked it, I didn't do it. But because <laughs> I hate it, I actually do it because I force myself to like actually run because it's like every time I do it is such a mental challenge that I'm like today I'm going to train mentally. So it's really not a physical thing when I run. It's more of like a mental thing. Like can I force myself to do something I strongly dislike for 20 minutes? Maybe I should do some more stuff that I hate. Shit. Like yeah. Maybe I'm, I've got this all wrong. Like we've got to do some stuff that I hate a little bit. I just look at it like <laughs> mental resilience. Like if I can force myself to run for 20 minutes and sprint, I can like fold for four hours at the poker table. And so I just like, I look at it like a training, like, but I do it like obviously for the physical benefits, but, um, yeah. It's brutal. Yeah, running was running sucked. You know, uh, recently I had a thought about this. It's a little bit related. Like I was, you know, I've been lifting weights for a decent amount of time. I love lifting. Yeah, that's great. I I do not love lifting. I I kind of hate it to be honest. <laughs> I find it really boring, and I'm just like F- this. But maybe, but I, one thing that occurred to me is like maybe this has been building discipline in me this this entire time because if I didn't have that much discipline, I would like screw over like a bunch of other areas of life. So maybe it was like secretly a good thing. I was doing this thing that I like didn't really like for a long time. And like, maybe I should do it some more now Picking, based on what you said, maybe, yeah. You're a man, you pick up your own body weight. It's good for you. Yeah. It's good. Like you lift your own body weight off the ground or whatever, pull yourself up off a bar. It's like, it's an empowering, I mean, at least for me, like it's, a, it's an empowering sort of feeling when I could like move a physical weight in the gym. Uh, that, that's cool too. More than like, like swimming across the pool. It's uh yeah, I mean, that's, cool it's just hard to like it it takes a minute to get to keep doing more uh, extra and extra things to do like all the calisthenics and all that crazy stuff i think measuring your lifts over time is kind of rewarding because it's like sort of gamifying the lift so like i started deadlifting deadlift you know 45 on each side like 135 right mm-hmm. but like then next week you can do 140 and then like you know you build up and now you whatever well, you so see, it's like it's cool to like see the progress and that kind of makes it more of a game and makes it more fun well um, if you actually see it yes well, you'll see it. I mean, if you lift the bar 25 times, you'll be stronger the next week. I mean, you have to get stronger. There's um, there's quite some diminishing returns after a while. Yeah, say that. definitely. It's it's easy to plateau. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but um, yeah, that that helps. The growth was one of the, uh, in, moti- in motivational psychology or whatever, growth is one of the biggest motivators for doing for progress, work. right? Yeah. Makes total sense. Yeah, that's why I like, I like being in good shape, not like because... 
the superficial like oh i'm you know i'm in good shape but it's like it's a it's a it's like a benchmark of progress and i think you know it's interesting because a lot of things in life you can inherit or you can be gifted or you can have and not earn mm-hmm. right like you can be a billionaire and not have earned any do- any of your dollars right sure if you're the son of a billionaire for example but you cannot be like if you look at all the things in life you cannot have an amazing body unless you've earned it so sure. it's actually like really cool like if you could pull yourself oh. up off a bar if, if you could do 10 pull-ups it's because you fucking earned it like you did everything you struggled for a long time to be able to pull yourself up 10 times. And so for me, it's very cool because it's like, it's like a, it, the, the output of your effort is like, is all yours. And there's not, you know, other things in life, you can say there's luck, you can say there's this, there's, there's that, but like, you know, in, in fitness and like being healthy and being in good shape, obviously it's a great thing long-term because you, you know, you, you only have one body, you have more than $1. So like, obviously your, your, your health is the most important thing in the world, I think, but, um, but it's interesting, like a way to look at things. Like it's like it's cool, like a way to measure progress. It's like okay, I'm I'm gamifying like all these little things, not because I care about the superficiality of being able to lift whatever, but it's just like a measurement of progress. Sure. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I will say, uh, I mean, you can't really can't cheat that. Yeah, There's exactly. Very little margin of error for like cheating fitness, I guess you can say, uh, compared to like, I mean, even poker. There's justice eventually, but like. It's uh, yeah, you can't, <laughs> poker takes a minute. Yeah, like it's uh, yeah, exactly. If you're in great shape, it's like you can't cheat it. I mean, sure, you could take could take steroids, but like still, it's like that's it's not gonna like just ha- make you be lean and have a six pack and be able to run a mile in five minutes, uh, which I can't do by the way. I'm <laughs> like I said, I could maybe well, run five minutes is really extreme. yeah. I could maybe run seven and a half if I like you know like had a bet. <laughs> It sounds like maybe a bet. I, I, I don't I think want to I've, do it because I don't want to run to trade. I'm not taking it. Oh, I, oh, I thought you wanted to do things you hate. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, okay. Maybe. If someone else could suffer with me, maybe it'll be like a... All right, well... I, you'll that, you'll have to do it and I'll do it. And if one of us doesn't do it, we, we pay the other one or something. I can for sure beat seven minutes in 30 seconds, by the way. I don't know. I've, I haven't timed myself since I was in like... I've done, triathlon. I have no... I don't know. I know for sure I've done six minutes in 30 seconds. For yeah. Example, but I ha- also hate it. So that... That's a huge difference. It's like one of those things where each second is like exponential beyond a certain amount, right? Like going from, I mean, I guess going from 11 to 10 yeah. is not that hard, but going from like, oh yeah, seven yeah. to six is like, it gets yeah, yeah exponentially yeah. harder as you get closer to the, it does get harder, but I just, I had the feeling that I could easily get six if I like really like worked out. Yeah. I wasn't working like that hard. No, no. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I sure under like that, it gets really hard or I, I don't know. Um, I, I might be in the fitness i'm kind of in the fitness streets a little bit these days nice. anyway yeah and you look good this was fun i gotta run okay. uh, let's do this again okay sure and uh, do you want to mention anything before you you gotta go yeah i appreciate that just um you can find me at alec torelli on twitter and instagram consciouspoker.com for like poker strategy and stuff like that um alec torelli.com for my personal life and stuff like that what's going on and youtube i'm, I'm, I'm there every day so all right, cool. Come say hi. I'm very friendly on social media. I like in, interacting and engaging with everyone. So appreciate you doing this, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you. It's been great having you.